Daniel, you probably recognize him. He is a familiar face. Um, been up and down and supporting us for a, a number of years, um, which has been absolutely wonderful. Can I pray for you before you, uh, before you get going? Yeah, Lord God, we thank, you for, we thank you for Daniel. We thank you for his commitment to us. We thank you for his love for us, Lord God, the, the love that you put in his heart for us as a church. Lord, we thank you that he, he does things to bless us. He does things to look after us, to encourage us and to strengthen us. And Lord, we just pray, pray you'd uh, give us open hearts to hear what he has to say this morning. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yes, so good to be back with you all and so good to be back in the TDA because uh, I haven't been back here since the pandemic. So uh, it's like old times. I feel like raising the issue of Ferreira Rocher again, but, <laughs> but I won't. Um, uh, I brought Alex with me. In fact, Alex brought me uh, from City Church. So that was great to have some time in the car on our way up here. And um, Gary, brilliant worship leading. I always pick up songs when I'm here and uh, actually this morning that um, he lives. That's such a great song. We picked that up from you at Life Church and took it back to City. I think actually I was here in the morning one, one week and heard it and taught it to the church like six hours later in the evening service. So uh, just, just love. I just love the sort of cross-pollination of it all. Um, yeah, well, I've been asked to speak on uh, 1 Peter 5. So if you've got a a Bible with you, please do turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1 to 5. Um, as part of your series, I've just been so blessed by reading uh, 1 Peter in preparation for today. Um, one of my top tips to preachers is always know the passage better than you know your sermon. Because if you know the passage, if you've got the passage in your heart, if you've got the book in your heart, then you can sort of deliver it in a way that's appropriate and sensitive and you can improvise. But if you've like dedicated all your time to the sermon, it's not quite like that. So I've been trying to do that, really imbibing uh, 1 Peter and been so blessed by it. So I would say what I want to say this morning is clothe yourself with humility because the great shepherd of your soul has given you human shepherds to care for you like he does, okay? Clothe yourself with humility because the great shepherd, Jesus, has given you human shepherds, elders, to care for you like he does. I think, Alex, you've got a jumper there or something, haven't you? It's probably about the same size. I think we're about the same size, aren't we? Yeah, 34-inch yeah, waist. That's right, yeah. Um, so I won't stretch your jumper, but... Uh, the Bible uses this phrase again and again. Clothe yourself or put on. Let's imagine this fitted me. You know, for the, for the sake of Gary, it doesn't fit me, Gary. I'm extra, 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 extra large. Um, put on humility. Not become humble by some sort of osmosis. 
Don't become humble by some supernatural intervention. Don't, don't become humble because you were in the right meeting. It says, clothe yourself or put on, which is an action. It's a decision. Put on humility. Clothe yourself with humility. Choose humility. Because, why? Because the great shepherd of your souls, God, who cares for you perfectly, who knows you perfectly, who's all-powerful and all-loving and already has shown you how much he loves you by dying for you, him, he has given you human shepherds to care for you like he does. So that's the message we're going to try and go home with today from this passage. So we'll read it together. Let me just turn there in my Bible. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. And it's, uh, I'm sure you've got all this information by now because you've been going through a series, but if it's your first Sunday, let's just um, contextualize what's happening. This is a letter written from Peter to a bunch of churches. Okay, Peter was a disciple of Jesus. Not only was he one of the 12, but he was actually one of the inner three, Peter, James, and John. So he really was like a best friend of Jesus and had spent years with Jesus, particularly those last three years with Jesus. He knows Jesus. At this point, he's probably in his 60s. I'm not going to get you to put your hands up if you're in your 60s, but we can kind of get a picture of Jesus in his ministry. He's operating in his 30s, and we think that they all stayed 30 for the rest of the New Testament, but of course they don't. Um, by the time Peter's writing this, it's a good 30 years since Pentecost. He's an older man, by, certainly by their standards, uh, in his 60s, and he's writing from Rome. So this kind of provincial fisherman has, like, grown up and spread his wings and moved across the Mediterranean to Rome, which is the center, obviously, of the Roman Empire, which is at its height. And he is writing a letter to about 10 churches spread across what's modern-day Turkey, what in those days was the Roman province of Asia Minor. And at that point, they are experiencing some persecution. Now, this wouldn't have been everybody all the time, but it would have been very, very, very serious and significant for those people who it was affecting, I mean, even to death. So they were facing some hard times. And so into that, he writes a letter. And uh, it's a letter to a bunch of churches, so it's not a letter to elders, okay? Really important. It's not a letter to elders. It's a letter to the whole church, to multiple churches. But... The section we're looking at is addressed to elders, meant to be read to elders in front of everybody, okay? So I could have gone up to Gary after the service and said, Gary, you are an awesome worship leader, and I always pick up tips from you, and none of you would have heard that. 
But I wanted to speak to Gary and honour him, but also for you to overhear that so that you can honour him and you can see how I feel about him and his gift. Does that make sense? I was addressing him, but I was kind of addressing all of you. And that's kind of what Peter's doing. He's addressing the elders in this particular passage, but he's wanting to do that in front of everybody. And he's making an appeal. He's appealing to the elders to shepherd and oversee the flock because there's a great reward ahead. And that the church should submit to their eldership with humility. So let's have a look at that. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, I think it's on the screens for you. And uh, because I'm now not as young as I once was, I'll put my glasses on. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Because, because reading the Bible is always the most reliable part of any sermon, I'm going to read it again. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, I saw Jesus die. As well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, my hope is the same hope as yours, the coming kingdom. Because of that, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Being an example isn't one way of leading. It's the only way of leading. That might be a slight overstatement, but I'm not sure it is. And when the chief shepherd, God, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, with the same seriousness, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. All of you, towards one another, not towards the elders, towards one another, i.e. everyone, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Lord, Help us to celebrate your word and to delight in what you're saying to us. Thank you that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And this is your word to us. We want to 
throw our arms around it, Lord. We want to embrace it. We want to benefit from it. We want to be obedient to it. And we want to be conformed to it, Father. Do that in our hearts. Open our hearts and our minds, Lord. Even now, if there's uh, things in this that we're finding difficult, give us grace. Soften our hearts. Lord, we don't want to deny our life, but we want to bring it to you, Lord, to shape us, conform us to your will. Help us to be transformed today by the renewing of our minds. You wash us with your word, Lord God. Amen. So, what's happening here and why have I got a rugby ball? I'm delighted to say that you're the type of church which uh, has a rugby ball that can be uh, got early on a Sunday morning for the purposes of visual aid, but I'm also delighted that someone said, that ball's the wrong shape, and that obviously is a matter of opinion. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was relying on uh, Phil's sporting ability, but he's obviously in kids' work, is he? Um, okay, but Paul's, Paul's volunteered, and perhaps... Dis- <laughs> Despite the Arsenal shirt, you could, would, you, would you mind coming up and just passing the ball for me? So I just want to make a really simple point. Um, can I see the back of your shirt? No, because the last one I saw said Tim with 18 exclamation marks. Does that sound plausible? 30 exclamation marks, okay. So the, the simple point I want to make here is that God, who, if you've ever read your Bible, is expressed as a shepherd again and 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 again, says to Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, shepherd my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. So he says to Peter, the great shepherd, shepherd my people. And Peter, in this letter we've just read, says to all elders, shepherd my people. Can you see that? So God doesn't say random things, doesn't doesn't reveal himself in random ways. He does it very thoughtfully. That great shepherd passes the shepherding mantle to Peter. <laughs> who contextualizes <laughs> and Peter passes the shepherding appeal to all elders. Does that make sense? Okay, thank you for your amazing rugby skills. If you think, why did Daniel have a rugby ball this morning? You'll remember it's because God passed shepherding to Peter, Peter passed shepherding to the elders. I mean, that's not saying God doesn't continue to play the game. They're all playing the game. But this is something that is being passed down. This isn't some random, strange request. And Peter is not writing as an armchair pundit. Okay, There's no one who can play football better than me when I'm sitting on my settee at home watching the Football Cup final. You know, I know exactly what all these players should have done. But obviously, I can't actually do it. But Peter has played the game, 
okay? Peter is not an armchair pundit. Peter is an elder. He is saying, I appeal to you as a fellow elder. And not only does he carry that, but he carries that as someone who's walked with Jesus. Jesus called Peter when he was a humble fisherman. Even if he was a business-owning fisherman, at that moment, he was amazed to be called by Jesus. He follows Jesus, and Jesus shows him how to shepherd. Whenever Peter's arrogant, Jesus is really gracious to him. So, for example, imagine the scene. Jesus knows he's about to go to the cross. He knows he's about to go through great suffering. And a few hours before that happens, two of his disciples come up to him and say, we've been arguing about which one of us is the greatest. Can you imagine the sort of grace that Jesus needs to respond to them in that moment? And then he says, you're all going to betray me. And Peter says, no, you're, A, you're wrong, Jesus, Son of God, Alpha and Omega. B, I will never betray you. I won't. Yet, yeah, agreed, the rest of them will. Yeah, but you'll be pleased to know I won't. Jesus doesn't laugh in his face. Jesus actually takes those three people, those three people to the Gethsemane, and he says, my heart is troubled. Please pray with me. The, the humility that he shows in the face of their utter arrogance is just staggering. So Peter has seen a good shepherd at work. And of course, we know that Peter has this moment with Jesus where Jesus says, okay, all these people think that I'm this person or I'm that person. Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. And in that moment, they have this profound conversation where, Peter says, where Jesus says to him, yes, I, Jesus, will build my church. That is what I'm doing. That is my life. That is my career. That is my project. That is my destiny. I will build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. The implication of that is that they will try to prevail against it, yeah? So in that moment, he's saying to Peter, let's build a church, I'm going to build a church, and it's going to be opposed. It is going to be opposed. Peter has that ringing in his ears. And even though he's got it ringing in his ears, he betrays Jesus. Yep, a 13-year-old servant girl comes up to him at the bonfire and says, Don't, aren't you with Jesus? No. I thought you were with Jesus. No. I never knew him. Now, I'm sure I saw you with Jesus. You've got a Galilean accent like him. No, I don't know him. That Peter, <laughs> even though he's heard that this is going to be opposed, betrays Jesus. And so he's obviously nervous on the beach a few chapters later when Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, 
I mean, I don't know if he's more nervous that he's the risen Lord Jesus or that he's seriously in trouble. He comes up to him, and in that moment, he counsels him. He takes him through a process. Do you love me? You know I love you. Right, well, you know what we were talking about before? Feed my lambs. I'm the good shepherd. I'm concerned. I'm going to build a church. It's going to be opposed. And Peter, this is that, this is that conversation, part B. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? You know I love you. Shepherd my sheep. I'm not getting the words exactly right, but you can look them up in John. Three times he's restored. That's just the Hebrew way of being emphatic, okay? So Jesus is often emphatic when he says, truly, truly, I say to you. Truly, truly, I say to you. And some of your translations might change that to very truly, I say to you. But it's being emphatic. Saying something twice is being emphatic. Saying something three times, which is generally reserved for holy, 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 the most emphatic you can be, is what Jesus applies to Peter here. Three times he restores him so that he is utterly restored. And Peter carries that. You can see him in the upper room with the disciples. They are frightened. They were gathered in the upper room because they were frightened. That's literally what it says. Peter is there leading them, helping them make decisions, trying to be obedient to God. And it's this Peter who writes this letter in his 60s, 30 years after all that had happened, thinking about all the churches that have been planted since then, impressing upon these elders and upon the church so that the church can overhear this, what the commission is. The commission is one, shepherd the sheep, and two, oversee the sheep. Shepherd the flock exercising oversight. Another, another way of looking at it is shepherd by keeping an eye on them. So let's imagine a different, a different picture now. A young uh, a family, a mum and dad, steeped in the Bible, God-fearing folk. They've got a 15-year-old daughter, and they've got a wonderful bundle of joy surprise who's maybe a two-year-old boy, okay? And so this Christian family with a teenage daughter and a young baby boy. And one day the parents have to go and check on a, let's say, a new car that they're going to buy and they don't want to take the whole family with them. So the mother says to the teenage daughter, having raised her for 15 years, having taught her the Bible, having prayed with her, having been an example to her, she says to this 15-year-old daughter, mother, your brother, keep an eye on him. Does that make sense? You've seen me do this. Mother, your brother, don't take your eye off him. In the same way, Peter is saying, the great shepherd who commissioned me to shepherd is now telling you, shepherd, keep an eye on them. Shepherd, my flock, your flock. Don't take your eyes off them. How do we do it? Not forced, 
but willingly. Not for gain, but eagerly. Not domineering, but by example. So I'm especially interested in the elders in the room hearing this stuff, but for us, the whole church, to hear it as well, because now we know what to expect. That they are shepherding us willingly, eagerly, by example. Jesus shepherds us willingly, eagerly, by example. And how does that happen? One of the main ways it happens is by feeding the sheep. So uh, that's how David expressed it in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd because he leads me beside still waters and makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures is obviously where sheep eat and a still water is where they drink. So that's about being fed. In Mark 6, Jesus, obviously hundreds of years later, sees a crowd and his heart is broken and he says that crowd is like sheep without a shepherd. Therefore, it says, he taught them. So the problem is they're like sheep without a shepherd. The solution is to be taught or to be fed. And obviously we've just heard from John 21 where Peter is restored. And twice Jesus says to him, he says, shepherd my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. So one of the ways your elders care for you is by feeding you good food, biblical, solid, nourishing, biblical food, faithful preaching and teaching, encouragement from God, lifting your eyes to God. If you wanted to talk about anything else, or if you wanted to take a non Christian spin on this book, there'd be thousands of people lining up at the door who could do that. You'd have no end of teachers to, willing to teach you if you didn't mind what they taught you. But these guys are commissioned to teach you the word of God, to nourish you, to give you green pastures. And that's because God, God is the great shepherd. So if you've got your Bible open at Peter chapter 5, if you turn back just a page to 1 Peter chapter 2, 25. You can see this for yourself in black and white. And I think we might have this on the screen as well. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. You were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The two words that Peter uses to commission elders amongst you, human elders, is what he uses to describe God. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So, church, because you have a great shepherd and overseer of your souls, who has died for you. In fact, I think that's worth pressing home. You'll know, you'll know this from uh, John, but in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. 
the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It doesn't say the good shepherd is an amazing CEO who pioneers new ventures and makes sure there's always... Uh, no, it says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down their life for the sheep. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and lay down your life. These, this, is a, this is a coupling that comes again and again. Jesus, the good shepherd, your good shepherd, has already laid down his life for you and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. It's done. It's done. I say this again and again. The gospel doesn't say do. The gospel says done. Because he died and was resurrected, he was raised to the right hand of God and he sat down. So when can you be humble? You can be humble when you've got nothing to prove. You can be humble when you've got nothing to lose. You've got nothing to lose because you have been given eternal life. God has done it perfectly, all-powerfully, once and for all. It cannot be undone. He has done it. You do not add anything to your salvation. Who, O oh Lord, can save themselves? No one. God saves us. So we can be humble because it's grace. It's a gift. It's not something we earn. We haven't achieved it. We can't lose it. We don't have to prove it. He has done it. And because of that, we can be grateful. Humble people are grateful. I was walking this morning to Cambridge to uh, meet Alex to come up here. And I was just singing, worshipping as I came, praying for you. And I started to weep when I thought of all that God has forgiven me for. And I'm old enough to know better, but I'm constantly amazed at how God has forgiven me. I'm constantly amazed at how my wife has forgiven me. Uh, my children have forgiven me, let alone how God has forgiven me. But I, I remember his grace towards me, and it makes me smile. I mean, these are tears of joy. I've got nothing to lose, nothing to prove. I'm rejoicing in the gift he's given me. And I can trust him. I know I can trust him. Peter trusted him. So that Jesus, standing on the lake of Galilee, says to Peter, get out of the boat and come towards me. And he does. <laughs> he trusts him. He doesn't fight. We don't need to fight our own battles. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We need to trust God. We need to be grateful for his salvation. We need to put on humility. I mean, it's amazing the way the Bible talks about Jesus' humility, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Okay, put on humility, took an action, made himself nothing, being found in human likeness, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. So, 
there's great comfort in knowing that the Lord, our great shepherd of our souls, continues to shepherd us. And one of the ways he does it is by providing human flesh and bone shepherds in your congregation, the local church. Peter loves the local church. Jesus loves the local church. That's why Jesus writes to local churches in Revelation, to the church in Ephesus. Not to generally churches everywhere, to the universal church through all time and history, to the church in Ephesus, a people, a place in a venue. Because the great shepherd of our soul has provided human shepherds for us, we can be humble. We can accept grace. We can trust his covering, his guidance. We can follow our leaders. In fact, I, I stumbled upon this verse this morning in the Old Testament, which says, rebellion is like divination. It's, witch, it's as evil as witchcraft. And witchcraft often in the Old Testament and the New Testament is to do with control. People enter into witchcraft because they're wanting to control a particular situation. And I think we can find ourselves rebelling because we want control. But we can be free from that. God has given us shepherds. God, the great shepherd, has given us shepherds so we can submit to them by grace, knowing that they have to stand before God and give an account for us. Lord God, Thank you that you can say, Jesus, that you are the good shepherd. Thank you that the outworking of you being a good shepherd is that you laid down your life for the sheep. You drew us to you. You made a way, a new and living way through your death and resurrection. Thank you that you restored Peter and you commissioned him. Thank you that Peter continued faithfully for 30 plus years to write to churches, to lead churches, to plant churches, to encourage churches, to urge churches to keep going in the face of persecution. Church in Rome in the first century, I know that you've got horrendous authority figures around you. Nevertheless, in the church, God has appointed shepherds. Submit to them. Lord, I know that we can be tempted to see the authority figures around us and rebel against it. But Lord, help us not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Leadership is a spiritual gift. That's what the Bible says. And so I pray that we would pray for our elders, pray for our leaders. We would make their joy, their work a joy. We would be easy to lead. We would encourage them. We would trust them, imperfect though they are. We understand that a grace has been given and a commission has been given and we are protected by them. So, Lord, we want to pray for the elders in this church. Lord, men who will one day stand before God to give an account for how they've led the church. We pray for them that they would lead, not for gain, but eagerly, willingly, wisely feeding this church, Father. And I pray this church would grow and grow and grow, be a sending church, be a planting church, be an established church, be a church which raises up and sees generations of children turn into teenagers, turn into students, turn into middle age, turn into all the way through, Lord God. Help this be a church 
for this city and for the nations, Father God. Help them to put on, to choose humility, submission, receive your grace, because the great shepherd, you are caring for our souls. Amen.